0: even Australia and New Zealand um, so past and present and all points in between but it's mostly horn bands that were more in the pop spectrum not necessarily the old school swing and whatnot that's where we're going today and um uh, strap strapping and I hope you enjoy our journey
1: yeah I think it's going to be a good one um, this was my idea and I think at one time, I had started a band many years ago, um, called like Brass Attack or something like that. Um, it didn't really get off the back, off the ground. I think we got together and jammed once or twice, and then we just sort of faded away. Like nobody showed up anymore. But uh, I've always had an affinity for brass, or you know, based horns in in uh, bands and. So I'm kind of excited to talk about some of these things. You now some of these are ones that I've no clue about, and that's okay. Um that's that just helps me expand my palette. And uh so I'm 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 ready to go on this. That
0: Sounds good. Um before we dive into that, just a bit of music news. Um HBO now just put out their uh BG's documentary uh mid-December I believe it was um, How Can You mend a Broken Heart Perf- it's excellent very well done documentary well worth watching um, whether or not you're a fan of Bee Gees but definitely if you're a fan of that era of music if you're a fan of Bee Gees it, it, it's definitely well worth watching
1: yeah that's I've got that uh, queued up on my um, watch list of things uh, you know, I travel a lot for my I know it's hard for people to believe but I have a real job. It's not just uh, sitting around doing music stuff, but I have to travel a lot for it, too. So these are the things that I like to queue up and watch while I'm traveling on airplanes. And I don't know how many music documentaries I've I've been able to watch in the or last, I don't know, month, like year. And it's just been, this is one of the ones that I'm really, really excited for because the Bee Gees are just one of those groups that, I just have so many fond memories about growing up and with my mom and, and just the, the era. So I'm, I'm really excited for it. I'm glad you turned me on to this one.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I was, there was a lot I didn't know about the BG7. I mean, granted, I knew their disco era. So it was very interesting to hear about the earlier pre-disco years and how they kind of had a lull in the early seventies until they discovered Barry had a this falsetto that they didn't even realize it until the mid seventies. And that was like their secret weapon. And after that, it's like the, it totally turned them around, put them back on a track for success. So I found that quite intriguing that they didn't even realize that earlier in their uh, careers. It, it took a good 10 years of them being a band, even splitting up, getting back together before they even realized he had that falsetto that really took them to a different level um they also delved into their younger brother andy um and incidentally he, even though he never recorded anything officially as a member of the bgs with them he did re- do recordings with them um with a, a desire uh, i think was the big one where they sang background But he had officially joined the band just months before he died. Unfortunately, he never got to record any material with them as a member of the Bee Gees. Uh, It's just unfortunate timing. Uh, But it was interesting to... I I hadn't realized that he had been technically been an official member of the band at the time of his death, even though he hadn't recorded anything with them as a member.
1: Hmm. Now, that's one thing I did not know, because I always had heard that... They wanted to bring him in and maybe that's just the information was that he was actually in but they never got to record with him and that sounds like what what you're saying
0: they they were uh saying that initially because he had that teen heartthrob thing going on they kind of let him do his own thing but by the time he was 30 he passed that part of his career had passed so to rejuvenate his career, he had decided to join his brothers as a member of the band, and they welcomed him with open arms, of course. Cause it's family. Uh, unfortunately, all the cocaine abuse from the late seventies, early eighties, it had just done a number on his heart. I mean, not too many people die of a heart attack at age thirty. Uh, it's that's that's a lot of cocaine.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of cocaine. So,
0: so it. it is of that era, but that—that's. I mean, the stresses of that kind of career, and I can't even begin to imagine. But, um, but yeah, that's. Again, I highly recommend the documentary, especially for fans of BGS or fans of disco music. Uh, the movie Saturday Night Fever, they get into that quite a bit, discussing um, how that was the start of when they were not just writing for themselves they were writing for other bands and groups and musicians because they have Yvonne Ellman doing one of their songs they had, uh, I think the Tavars doing one of the songs, they, the Tavars did a version of More Than a Woman both of them are on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack but that's when it really kind of started where you'd start to hear other bands play songs that had been written by them so they started to get a reputation as songwriters as well as a group in and of themselves.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things I remember my mom being such a huge you know, Gibb brothers fan was um the work that that Barry did with Barbara Streisand and which was a, like right at the end of the like early 80s, so 80 81 I want to say. And something about that, you know, Guilty and Woman in Love and my mom used to play the heck out of those. And those were those were those were Gib, um, compositions. And, mm-hmm. and then he, he appears, I mean, he appears on the album with her and, and it was just like, yeah, versatility, the, the way that, you know, you could tell us it's a good song because almost everybody that could record it had some success with them. And it's, so it wasn't just like, it wasn't just good for them. It was good for everybody.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It- it was really enlightening for me to i I learned a lot about them that i hadn't previously known so it's definitely well worth watching i think it's only like an hour and a half so it's certainly reasonable length let's uh dive into these uh horn bands um the obvious is of course chicago the band that introduced us to each other through our mutual appreciation of them and I mean I don't the trouble with Chicago is I don't even know where to begin <laughs> because there's just so much that can be said about them.
1: Well, I do want to give a, a, a right before we dive into Chicago because I mean, I could honestly I could do a podcast every week about Chicago and I could fill up the entire hour, hour and a half. But I will say this. Oof. Um All right. I I'm you know they, they say it in their documentaries and in the the portrait group portrait uh, CD set that came out. And I want to give I want to give a little bit of an homage to the Beatles because got to get you into my life, kind of opened the door. It's what get you know gave Walt uh, Perezator the kind of the idea that hey we could do a rock band, like you could you can you can have horns in a rock band. And imagine if instead mm-hmm. of just one song, we do it in like every song. And so I, I got to give it up to that. I mean, cause we had our whole, we had a whole podcast on the Beatles and, uh, right. and it's like, here's another place where their thumbprint is on, is, is on an entire genre, almost the subgenre of, of rock and roll. Well,
0: absolutely. I mean, they the. they the level of musical adventurousness of the Beatles really paved the way for so many other kinds of music, so many subgenres of pop music. Um, it's and they're in fairness, of in many cases, it, they dabbled and it might not necessarily have even worked for them, but they they looked at. Uh, they planted the seed, and then these other groups would come and take that seed, and it would just grow. And I think that Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, etc., these are some of the bands that they took that got to, got to get you into my life to a different level. I mean, the yeah. Beatles planted the seed, but they took it to the next level, and definitely Beatles deserve the credit for planting the seed. But Chicago just what they did with horns was just. Amazing! I I could listen to Chicago Transit Authority their debut album over and over again. It's there's just so much going on, and I hear something new every time I listen to it. And I've been listening to that album for over 30 years of my 43 year life. So it's, um, it's
1: yeah, I, I, I yeah, mean, it's, just... it, it's it's exactly like you said. You know, it was the. The other bands in the era, um, that maybe had horns in there, they were like kind of, and they even talk about this. Uh, I think Walt has brought this up before. They were they were sidemen in the band, like the, they brought the horns as an integral part of of the group, and it was a it was an integral part of the compositions of the songs and how the how they were integrated into the songs, like like another voice, like a uh, a melody. Um, it was a very, very much part of, especially, I mean, I I would say all the way up until, well, I mean, Chicago 18, I don't know, you know, it's like, how how far do we go on that? But, um, when the horns kind of got sidelined, I guess during the David Foster era, but even on the David Foster era stuff, I mean, you can go to, uh, Chicago 16 and, uh, follow me and the horns are up front center and integrated into that song.
0: Yeah, that's easily my favorite song on that album, or maybe not, at least tied for a favorite, that and What You're Missing, the the openers on each side from back in the days of cassette and LP, both those songs are the perfect openers for their respective sides. I mean, they just jumped out and grabbed you right away and uh but follow me definitely much had much more of that classic chicago horn sound than what you're missing did that open the, the album but they both had a fire and intensity to them um that the show it was chicago's way of saying hey we're still here we we've still got something to say uh because they were at a low point when they were recording that album and they they really had to put themselves back out there
1: yeah definitely and it was also you know bill champlin gets brought in uh and so it, it was a lot of things going on there and not not the least of which was them trying to prove that they were still relevant at, at that point in 1982
0: oh absolutely and that was he was the right guy for the job at the time i mean he'd fronted his own horn band for the sons of champlain for years which we'll get to in a few minutes but um he he had that same range as terry kath he had that same soulful feel to his vocals um i don't think they could have found a better vocalist to be brought in to sing that classic terry kath material um he, he had the experience with horn bands and he had the right voice for it and uh it was certainly a master stroke to get him in the band at that point in time and then the magic of he and peter ceterra their voices there aren't too many voice pairs of singers that have blended as well as those two have and no offense to jason chef but it wasn't quite as quite the same it wasn't quite there it was good but it it was like Lightning in a Bottle with Peter Cetera and Bill Champlin. There's, their voices, is, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. They just fit together perfectly. I mean, you listen to Hard Habit to Break, that's not just a pop song. That is a masterpiece of a song because the vocals were so spot on and they just complemented each other perfectly.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Hard Habit to Break because Hard Habit to Break is, there's a version out there that has Robert Lamb singing the opening verse and it was i mean they actually recorded this like demo version and i'm a big robert lamb fan i've all that's what got me into chicago was robert lamb's voice and and his songs does anybody really know what time it is beginnings which to me is still one of the best songs ever but oh, absolutely yeah but i listen to this hard habit to break and it's like i i hear robert lamb's in there and i'm like I can see why they didn't include that. I mean, it was just, it just didn't fit well, as as well as with Bill and Peter together by themselves. Robert just was like this third wheel in that version that I've heard. And you can go on YouTube and check it out. I think it's out there. That's where I got it from. And, yeah. and it just doesn't, it just doesn't jive the same way.
0: And ha- I've actually heard the demo with Steve Kipner, um, who co-wrote the song, and Lamb's vocal delivery and his performance is almost spot on to what Kipner did. And I think Foster realized that if if they went that direction with it, it, it was an okay song. But hey, maybe if we do it differently, let's take Robert out of the equation and just see what happens with Peter and Bill, and. And they changed the arrangement of how it was sung as well. Because if you, I'm sure if you look up the demo version and listen to Stephen Kipner sing it, you'll definitely hear the parallels with Robert Lamb singing it. It's very similar style. They, the the vocal arrangement completely changed when they took Robert out of the equation. Um, it wasn't just removing him they had to change the arrangement so it fit Peter and Bill and when they did that that's what made it work and I'm, I'm glad they did that because the original vocal arrangement left a little to be desired
1: it it seemed flat and and, oh, I, absolutely. and I think that with, with Peter you ended up with that right off the bat um, getting rid of the flatness like right <laughs> into kind of just Peter's very melodic um, you know soaring voice but I mean You know, and I think the other part of the thing that brings Hard Habit to break, really, you know, to tie it back to the horn part, is there's a nice little horn bridge in there, too. And it really, it really fits the song perfectly. Now, there's a lot of, I mean, I can sit there and argue David Foster as, as, you know, he's brilliant as a producer, but I can argue whether he was the, you know, the best producer for Chicago. He was the best for them at that time. But when you look at it, kind of like stepping back and be like, was he for the band, knowing what their strengths are? I don't know. But I can say that there are things like that in Hard Habit to Break where he's like, okay, you guys still have this horn section, so let's use it and really accentuate that part of the song and and really tie everything together. And, And without that horn section, without that horn bridge in Hard Habit to Break, to me... I don't think. I mean, same thing. You take out Robert's voice. You put Peters in its place there. You you add. This, you have this beautiful horn section in there. I mean, it's it's a hard to have to break. Not written by a Chicago member, but it is a Chicago song. And I will give. I will give oh, him that. I mean, it is a Chicago song because it hits everybody's strength in that. In that, and that's where I think it's beautiful.
0: Oh, absolutely! And to go back to Peter Sarah, he's. He was a secret weapon, and another. He is a phenomenal bass player, and uh, it's unfortunately so often overshadowed by his vocals. His vocals are so distinct. I mean, you, you you hear his voice, you know it's him. I mean, there's no mistaking him for any other singer. He's got a very, very distinct voice, but unfortunately, because his voice is so distinct, people don't realize unless they really dig down and listen to some of the earlier material in particular where his the his bass was much more forward in the mix like chicago five in particular i think is his best album with chicago as a bass player You the state of the union goodbye now that you've gone dialogue all those songs he just blows it out of the park he, his bass playing is spot on it's so melodic it's just some of the best bass playing i've ever heard and it's from a guy who's not known for his bass playing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I and I never gave him the due that I that he probably deserved. Um, I I've, I'm a bass player. I've been playing bass for 20 years, and or actually more, 25 years, I guess. And I sat down one day, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play Chicago Five on that. And that took a little, a little bit more time than I thought it was going to take to hash that out I'm like because he's the, the I'll, t- I'll say this from a musician standpoint it's real easy to go and play bass or something like that on and you're just playing the same root notes of the chord or you're still you're playing the same pattern every single time every single you know uh, measure same 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 that's easy and a lot of really good bass players do that. Here's the problem with Peter Cetera. It's not a problem. It's, you know, it's a problem I wish I had. When you are so in tune with the, the key scale and the chords that are being played and all the accent notes and all the all the other things you can play on there, and you have such a command over the fretboard that you're able to move up and down and change octaves and change things like as it's playing, his don't repeat. I mean, they repeat on Saturday, Saturday in the park, but a little bit. But even if you listen there, it doesn't repeat the same every single time. And and like now that you've gone, that was the one I, I was like, oh my goodness, I am not gonna ever figure this out because it doesn't play the same every time. And if you go to go to um, Chicago Six, Feeling Stronger Every Day, same thing. I thought it'd be super easy. It's not, and it's only because you have he has such a command of of the musicianship and. And the musicality of, of it and the theory that he's able to really do that. And that's where, that's where I think Chicago excelled across the board. Everybody had that. Even Terry Kath, who was self-taught, he had that. He could understand that. He knew where, this, where to hit this and where this note needed to be and where this note you couldn't be. Because he had such a great ear and he, was so, he had perfect pitch. And so that was Chicago across the board.
0: Yeah, yeah. They were the the rhythm section. Sometimes gets forgotten because of the horn section. Chicago's known for the horn section, but they wouldn't have been the same without Danny Seraphin, Terry Kath, and Peter Cetera. Those the tightness of that rhythm section was fantastic. I mean, they were the secret ingredient that, unfortunately, often got overlooked because of that horn section that was the bread and butter, the staple that the band was known for uh but you listen to that early material and you've tried to picture it with any other rhythm section it would not have worked it they were just so tight and so in sync it's like they were operating on the same same brain almost it was just impeccable
1: and and that's really no it's it's no knock on jason but it was a different it was different with Jason in there he's not the same he's technically a very good bass player but he's not is he he's not a jazz j- bass player and uh, bass player and then as you know jazz has got a it's got a little f- kind of fluidness to it <laughs> it's not uh it doesn't always fall within the uh the rules of music uh so to speak and and I think with that uh, that improvisation that Peter brought is really what helped define that, and you know, I that's I think that's what helped make Chicago such a great band.
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it was it was one of those situations where the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um. It, and those are some seriously strong parts to throw together to get that whole cohesive sound.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, and and I think you, we we hit on this as a as a kind of maybe turn us towards one of their contemporaries, Blood Sweat and Tears. Um, you want to talk about coming in with a bang and leaving with a whimper? Um, I don't know, is Bo Bice oh. still in Blood Sweat and Tears? Last I heard he was the lead singer of uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears was Bo Bice from American Idol. Um,
0: I believe he's out now. I, he was for a long time. Um, I have one of their – their mu- form. I don't know if he's still in the band. Their former musical director, possibly still musical director, their trumpet player, not an original member, but he subbed for uh, Lee Lockman in Chicago a few times. His name is Steve Jankowski. Um but he, he did some decent arrangements for them in the later years. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure of if Bobo is still there or not, but I don't think he is. There is, and unfortunately, Blood Sweat and Tears is one of those bands where I'm pretty sure there are not any original members
1: left. I don't think there are. Yeah, and you know, it, it's there was a battle, you know, when Blood Sweat and Tears in Chicago came out, about who was who was good who was the best and who was going to dominate and who was going to be the, the flag carrier for rock and roll bands with horns. Although blood, sweat and tears kind of thought of themselves more as a jazz rock band. And oh,
0: they certainly did. Yeah.
1: And they had a five piece horn section. Um, so they were a little bit more, um, robust in that, but I mean, it's, it's, a, I got to say this. There's there's also the two eras of Blood Sweat and Tears that I consider the Al Cooper era and then the David Clayton Thomas era, and but I will say one thing, like even though this is about horns, you can't the voice of Blood Sweat and Tears is what I think everybody really focuses on, and David Clayton Thomas is I mean wow.
0: That that's where I think you and I part ways a little. The. The material with David Clayton Thomas is actually my least favorite. Of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I love Child Is Father to Man with Al Cooper, and I love the three albums with uh, Jerry Fisher: uh, New Blood, No Sweat, and uh, Mirror Image. Um, the, I just like those two vocalists. One, David Clayton Thomas, and I liked him for a while, and it just got to the point where I th- a little bit of him went a long way, and uh, to me. It, when I listen to that era of blood, sweat, and tears, now it doesn't sound like singing to me. It sounds more like caterwauling, which not really complimentary to David Clayton Thomas. Um, he, and I think, over time he had a tendency to oversing uh, in the later material he was doing with them. Uh, I, I will give him credit on blo- this blood, sweat, and tears second and third albums. He that was David Clayton Thomas at his peak. But I think after that he's really started to put a bit too much into his vocals and I think it it was one of those subtraction by addition things that really ended up I thought hurting the band.
1: No, I certainly am not disagreeing on that. Um, when I think of David Clayton House, I, I only think of the first two albums. And that is and and I think a lot of people if you if you take average Joe off the street and say blood sweat and tears what 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 do you think of on that? It's not going to be, um, I, at least I don't think it's going to be um, the Al Cooper era stuff. Although you know that stuff's great, I love it.
0: Oh, it's, it's much yeah, different.
1: I, I think they're going to think you've made me so very happy. Spinning wheel, which I can't stand, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when I die is kind of corny and like cheesy. You've made me so very happy is really is really great. Um, sometime in winter. Um, that's not even David Clayton Thomas um, but it, it's during that era but I'm I'm kind of like I, I just there's some things on there that I just think he just I mean Lucretia McEvil I love that um go down gambling now we're starting to get a little bit into the other the other stuff but I think that's the era that most people identify with even though the Al Cooper stuff is probably I, I think a little bit more adventurous a little bit more um uh, musically diverse, and definitely fits more into that jazz band, you know, like jazz rock. Oh,
0: absolutely. Band.
1: So that's Absolutely, kinda...
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a couple of my favorite songs off that Charles's Father to the Man, uh, More Than You'll Ever Know, of course, that, that's yeah. possibly the best song on that album. And the, the other one is kind of depressing, um, but my days are numbered. I, I something about that song I really like. There's some. There's a something haunting about it that really hits the spot with me.
1: Yeah, and I that was one of those because I was first exposed to Blood, Sweat, and Tears from their like Greatest Hits album. And and I think that was when I heard the Al Cooper stuff on there because there is there's there's a couple Al Cooper songs on there. I was like, what is this? Is this another Chicago where they got like three different singers on there? No, I had to go back and do my history and kind of find that out. But um, it was just so different. And I kind of almost think of them as two different bands.
0: Yeah, they definitely changed direction after uh, Cooper left. Um, the, um, The other era, which unfortunately... They left off any material from the Jerry Fisher era on the Greatest Hits album, but he he did a song called uh, Roller Coaster on I think it's their No Sweat album, the second album he did with them, and it's just a kick-ass song. The horns are fantastic, his vocals are spot-on. There is a bootleg or import, I'm not sure which it is, uh, from the Jerry Fisher era. I think it's from Live in Sweden 1974 or something, and he he only does like i think one or two songs from the david clayton thomas era nothing from the cooper era and most of the material is from his tenure in the band but he's really nails it i mean he is phenomenal vocalist and he to me he's as good as if not better than david clayton thomas was on those first two blood sweat and tears albums as far as quality of the vocals were david clayton thomas has the edge there is quality of the material um yeah. unfortunately for fisher even though i considered him a better singer i don't know that the, the quality of the material on those three albums match those second third blood Sweat and tears albums with uh david clayton thomas but definitely worth checking out that era and if you do check out that era i think uh no sweat is probably the best of the three he did um jerry fisher did with that band
1: well i have a bit of trivia for you and okay. So, besides James William Garcio, um, the connection between Blood, Sweat, and Tears in Chicago, this one's a lot more on the periphery, but um, there was an artist that Al Cooper went to go see, and I'll give you a hint, it's a trumpet player, and as soon as I tell you this, that that inspired him to start a rock and roll band with horns, and then this Artist later played on a Chicago album. Do you know who it is?
0: I would guess Maynard Ferguson because he's the only non-Chicago trumpet player I know of to play in, with Chicago on any of their albums.
1: Exactly, that's exactly who it was. So, just a little bit of trivia on.
0: Uh... Uh, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Ferguson, it, it, the work he did on Street Player was i don't know necessarily why they used him because lee lockman is a tremendous trumpet player uh, but it, it was definitely cool to hear him uh just wailing away on the trumpet on that one track um the interesting pivot point um after cooper left blood sweat and tears or was shown the door um
1: uh, <laughs> from by his own blood band.
0: sweat and tears <laughs> yeah from his own band he put together a band and they showed him the door not really a nice way to handle things but anyway he he collaborated a lot with the guitarist Mike Bloomfield one of the best blues guitarists of that era I mean just I'm I'd rather listen to him than Clapton and some of the more notable ones Uh, there's just something about his tone and everything and the musical chemistry he and Cooper had was just brilliant and I don't know if Cooper planted the seed with him or whatever, but he Bloomfield went on to form his own rock and roll band with horns called the Electric Flag. And I'll admit, right off the bat, I don't know a lot about them. I do know that um, they they did this performance. I think it was the Monterey Pop Festival in I think it was '67 or '68. That just they they were spot on. They they were just nailed their set. They were fantastic. And they were planning to continue, but for whatever reason, promotion, uh, something happened that prevented them from really building on that momentum, and they never really took it to that next level. And it even got to the point where Bloomfield ended up leaving the band, and he had, he had his issues over the years, substance abuse and whatnot, but... um it's interesting to start with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, it just Child is Father to the Man, then to listen to one or two of the albums Cooper and Bloomfield did together and segue into The Electric Flag, and you get kind of a you kind of hear the musical journey from one band to the other with the common links being Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield. and. I'd say the material those two guys did together is superior to the electric flag material. I've heard not a lot of it, but that's just me. Um, but it is worth at least giving a listen and checking out. Um, I I can't even name any of their songs off to the top of my head. They were a horn band for a moment in time, and they didn't have the longevity, of course. They, didn't, they don't have the name recognition. But they are a product of that era, and they're, they're worth checking out. And this brings us to Electric Flag was a product of that, in part, even though Bloomfield was a Chicago guy, as was Al Cooper. He'd relocated to the West Coast with the Electric Flag, which was also home to two other horn bands of that hour, of that era, Tower of Power and Sons of Champlain, uh, which were mainstays at the Bill Graham's various uh, venues the uh, fillmore east the avalon um there are two or three others uh, winterland i think was another one but this those two bands were just they were the bands of that era in that area i mean they were had a huge both bands had substantial local followings both bands were very tight very strong rhythm sections uh very different styles from one another tower of power more the soul funk thing going on and Sons of Champlain being more, they got they had that funk thing going on too, but they had more of a psychedelic thing, especially with their lyrics being many of their lyrics, very, very trippy. Um, yes. But it's it, the both bands are definitely products of that era. Um, Tower of Power. I tend to prefer there were three albums in the mid seventies. They did with uh, Lenny Williams, fantastic singer and i don't think anything they did before or anything they've done since matched the three albums they did with lenny williams Uh, he just had the perfect voice for that band and they've tried and tried and tried to find that vocalist again and they've had some decent vocalists since then but i don't think any of them have ever matched lenny williams
1: no i think i think you're absolutely correct on that and it's you know i when i think of tower tower power i i you know, of course, you're still a young man. That one stands out to me. And of course, that was one of their biggest hits. Um, you know, And of course it would. But I, I just... I think of... I think of Sons of Chamblin and Tower of Power. I grouped them together the same way we kind of grouped Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears together. They were very similar in, in a lot of ways. And you're right. I, they, they, but there was that funk... And and Bill Champlin's always kind of had a soul feel to him too, a little bit. So I gotta I gotta give him a little bit of that. But they seem more similar to each other than they do to like Chicago. Now, I will say I'll say this coming out of that, Bill Champlin was still a great choice to go to Chicago because of the vibe that Terry Kath brought to Chicago was very similar to what Bill Champlin and the Sons of Champlin were doing. And so then I think that fit really well. And I, we could go, you know, like we said, we talked about, we could go, go Chicago a long time. I, I think Chicago wasted Bill Champlin, in in what they could have been doing with him. But I do think that you know later on, when Bill started going back and doing more Sons of Champlin, which is where where his heart always was, you you got to see some of that. And when they finally started releasing some of that music out on CD, I was one of the first ones to pick it up, because. Oh, SSI. Yeah, and it was from the first track. I think it was 1982-A, and it was like, yeah. bam. And I was like, okay, this is, and I listened to that, and I started, I remember listening to that that greatest hits that came out, and I, and the very first song, I'm like, how the hell, pardon my language, but it's my, you know, our podcast, we do what we want. And I said, I said <laughs> how the hell did Chicago not do more of this with Bill Champlin in them? like they could they could have but they didn't
0: yeah yeah there's so much more they could have done then the other secret weapon with Sons of Champlain was uh Jeff Palmer how many other bands of any genre of any subgenre of rock and pop had a vibraphone player I mean he played the vibes and they which gave some of their songs kind, kind of an acid jazz feel which is quite unique. I mean, song get high has like a vibe solo and it, it just sounds, it, it works. Somehow they make it work because the rest of the song doesn't, you don't necessarily understand where a vibe solo is going to fit into it, but they make it work. And it, yeah. I have to give them credit there for not just having horns, but having a vibraphone. Player. Just, it was <laughs> just a very unique, uh, sound and style. And, yeah, that first album was just phenomenal, and then they they kind of struggled a little there, and then they hit their stride again, I think, with Welcome to the Dance, and then their, those last few albums after that one, too, were pretty strong as well. But uh, that Loosen Up Naturally and then Welcome to the Dance on, I think that that was their real sweet spot. I mean, their second album was good. It had some good stuff on it, but Lo- Loosen Up Naturally just nailed it. It was just fantastic album, start to finish.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting um, later on because we talk about Sons and Champlin and we talk about Tower of Power, the fact that you know what what did what a California Transit Authority had, Bill Champlin, um, and yeah. and Larry Bragg, right? So you had you had <laughs> Tower of Power and Sons of Champlin with Chicago in one one band. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that that was a quite a unique uh, blend that uh, Danny Seraphin put together for California Transit Authority. And it worked. I mean, it really worked. I, I wish they'd put out more material, but I think Danny considers that more of a touring, performing act than a recording one. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, you do what you know and what you're comfortable with and happy with. And I think he's more he's happier performing on a stage than stuck in a studio recording.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, but their albums, the two, I think they did two CDs. Um, they were, uh, yeah, they, they I were think really they did good. Too. Really good. California yeah, Transit Authority. They were
0: very strong. Um, Another couple of bands that kind of pair together, I think are Chase and Ides of March. Uh, the common, the common thread there is Jim Peterick, who later went on to be, a founding member of Survivor after both Chase and the Nights of March. Um, he wrote several of songs for both bands. I don't think he was ever an official member of Chase. He, uh, he did sing with them of, on one or two of their albums. Um, but yeah, he got Vehicle, he got Get It On, and I believe Jim Peterick either wrote or co-wrote both of those songs. And you can tell there's definitely a similarity between vehicle and get it on both in the lyrical content which is kind of creepy and skeevy if you really pay attention to the lyrics (laughs) a friendly stranger in a black sedan, won't you step into my car and then get it on it well speaks for itself i don't really need to go into lyrics i mean the song title (laughs) itself tells you where that one's going but um of the two i think get it on is a stronger song because of the it's just a wall of brass i mean i think they had bill chase and one or two other trumpet players i think they they were maybe a four maybe five piece but it was mostly trumpets and it was just this wall of trumpet brass giving them a very unique sound when unfortunately most of that band was killed in a plane crash so it's, that's all she wrote um it would have been interesting to see and hear them evolve beyond that um and i do think some of the surviving numbers did try to put together a tribute band that didn't really go anywhere it's kind of hard to do so when the namesake of your band is one of the people who was killed in the plane crash
1: right well and i think i think peterick peterick is definitely undervalued uh, uh he was if you if you were a fan of survivor you followed survivor you knew what his contributions were but he wasn't out front like like in eyes of March and, and so I think that that he kind of got forgotten. Um over the years he's kind of done a better job of really like showing you know how much he did. I mean I of the tiger I mean he wrote that right? So um at least I, I believe so. I believe he did. Yeah, that was my understanding. Um and he sings it like even he goes in like radio stations and things like that. He goes and brings his brings his acoustic guitar and he does that and he usually does like vehicle, which I always thought was Blood Sweat and Tears when I first heard it. And uh, it wasn't until much later when I couldn't find it on any Blood, Sweat, and Tears compilations that I finally found out that it was Eyes of March. But he's a talented musician, talented multi-instrumentalist, by the way. Um, yeah. And and vocalist. But very talented guy. Um, he's a little eccentric sometimes, but he's, you know, what, what good artists aren't. <laughs> he... He, uh, I think he just gets kind of forgotten in in the because he never was really like Jim Peterick and Ides of March. It was always, you know, he was always the band was more important. It seemed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, circling back to the seventies a bit, um, and again, I think these are two bands just given the era and the dance ability they're these guys are dance fans with horns casey and the sunshine band and earth went in fire i mean their music was just uh, not taking anything away from chicago or blood sweat and tears but their music is not stuff you think of dancing to you can't say the same for casey and the sunshine band or earth went in fire those are that's what you do with that music it's just i mean boogie wonderland shake your booty i mean just the, the boogie shoes I and mean, both bands that was their bread and butter and they just brought horns into it and took that music to a completely different level and um if i'm listening to dance music from that era those are my two go-to bands i mean and of course the bgs but um what they did with horns in that music is just phenomenal
1: well it seems like there's always these threads Right, that seem they keep pulling on it, and I talked a little bit about my my little game that I that I play with like the degrees of separation, and and you could do it in like okay, well, put blood, sweat, and tears together with Earth, Wind, and Fire. How do they go together? And you could do the Maiden Ferguson, Chicago link. Um, you know, of course, you got you could use the Sons of Champ. You know, Chicago, Bill Champlin. Casey, uh, or uh, Earth went on fire with uh, after the love has gone and it, you just there's all these threads and they kind of all seem to you know, go through each other and it's like okay well we do these things really well and that's just I think it's a testament to the musicianship of all these bands it's, it's not easy to write songs for that many instruments it's hard because each instrument yeah. has to be able to breathe and occupy its space within the the aural a-U-R-A-L um, spectrum, and in order to do that, um, you have to make sure that you're composing them in a way that allows them to breathe. And, you know, production's really important in that, but also just the straight musicianship of knowing, you know, how to write that. So, I, I think, that's why I think I give a nod. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about horn bands, because it's it's beyond, like, a three-piece, uh, you know, three three guys in there, you know, and i I've seen many three-piece jazz, uh, three-pieces, trios, um, that can uh, do amazing things. But these, this is a little extra in all of these bands. And, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire is another one of those, too. Like, wow, the musicianship, Casey and the Sunshine Band is just fun. But the musicianship was always there, too. It was catchy. So... I, I'm just I, I'm just glad we're getting the opportunity to talk about these and bring these out because you don't hear a lot of horns in music in popular music right now.
0: No, you certainly don't. I mean, every once in a while, um, it'll pop up. I mean, Bruno Rob Mars. Thomas using... Yeah, uh, Rob Thomas Matchbox 20 on If You're Gone. Um, I heard he, he did the uh, speech inducting in Chicago in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He is a diehard Chicago fan, and um, he didn't realize... He could have asked the Chicago Horn Section to play on that. He didn't realize he could have done that, so he brought in other people. But he's, he said he wished he'd known that they would have done it had he asked, uh, because he would have, in a heartbeat, used the Chicago Horn Section over the Horn Section he ended up using for that song. But um, there's definitely musicians out there that grew up with this music like we did, and they appreciate the horns and they they want to put the horns in there. Uh, unfortunately, they. In many cases they aren't as well known and we'll we'll, we'll delve into some of them a, in a little bit but um yeah there's it takes it to a different level of being a, as big a fan of chicago as i am when i was younger and i'd hear songs that didn't have horns i, I thought something was missing i was uh, <laughs> to me in right. chicago was the norm and these bands without horns were the Uh, anomalies so when i'd hear these other songs about horns something's missing (laughs) we're we're the horns so it's it definitely gave me a different perspective growing up on music um yeah it's just a matter of when your first real musical love is a band that has horns when you start to hear the music that doesn't have it yeah over time you come to realize that not all songs need it but there are some songs out there where they don't have it and you almost think they should it, you develop the ear to say there's a horn chart missing there right. and uh, that's, that's what I think a lot of these horn bands have done for me just growing up listening to them and having that appreciation for that
1: well I'll hum the horn sometimes to them to songs that don't even have horns in them, and just just because I think it's like, wow, this could really use one here, and you know, I we're not going to get into into Rich's um, hatred of modern pop music because it's written by three people and the same producers, you know, and all this, but I will say that I just have to get this vent off because I was on my way home today from pretty eventful day, and. I I think it, there was a Justin Bieber song. I think it's called Intentions or something like that. But it's just the same melody bit over and over for three and a half minutes. The exact same thing. Same. Just repeat, 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 repeat. And I guess my point is we're talking about like, you know, we don't hear a lot of this in modern pop music now, is that that is such a, a, a such a, um, like a divergence a away from, or divergence away from this type of music where you actually have like, you, you know, we structure the songs in, in ways that you don't know. It, it's not expected. What you hear is not expected. And that is, I think what, what I come to expect in songs. And that's what I think the horns bring to these songs is look, you, Yeah, oh, I have a guitar solo. Oh, well, now there's a horn solo and a guitar solo. And it's just one more thing to bring that variety, that spice to a song to make it breathe, to make it, you know, vibrant and dynamic and interesting. And I think that's what's missing right now. And to me, me, it's one of those things that's missing. So that's my rant.
0: Well, to kind of pivot on that a little bit to take it I think part of my issue with Chicago's current music is the production here's we know from the earlier material that when you give the band the space to breathe the music the space to breathe it sounds phenomenal the last few albums they've done the sound is so compressed it's claustrophobic that they aren't giving the instruments the space to breathe that they need to really put themselves out there, and it just feels so tight and compressed, and it's missing something. It, it and it also feels very sterile. I mean, they're yeah. Chicago with thirty six from twenty fourteen. I wanted to like it. The horns are back. I've got to give them credit there, but there's no feeling. There's no emotion there. It could have been recorded by robots. It's unfortunate because it just. The horns are there, but the feeling isn't. The emotion isn't. It's so automatic. There's nothing that takes it to a different level. And even Foster knew how to keep the emotion in there to to connect with the listener so they didn't just hear the song, they felt it. I felt nothing when I listened to Chicago thirty six other than the title track. Title Track was phenomenal.
1: The one that doesn't have their band section, the horn section on it. Yeah.
0: Yeah exactly the, the only it's got jason chef and i think that's about it and doesn't have the horn section he had to bring in ringers and and it's the most chicago sounding song on the album and it it's the least chicago song on the album it's it's the weird irony there but it's the rest of that album is just sterile it's and i know there are a lot of fans chicago fans give me a lot of heat for saying that, but. It, you listen to cta then you listen to 36 and you're like what happened <laughs> i mean it, we both know a lot happened but it's you that's the other thing that it's they have to be produced and mixed properly to really appreciate and when you have a band with horns it needs the space to breathe and if you mix it so, too compressed you lose that and I think that's where Chicago's gotten lost in more recent years. That and being on second and third and fourth replacements of some of their members, I don't think that's done them any favors either. No offense to the replacement members, it just doesn't feel the same anymore. And but that's that.
1: I'll take offense to it. They they posted uh, a Christmas song the other I don't know, other week uh, off there. They had Neil singing it, and I almost vomited in my mouth. It was it was terrible to me, so i i i'm like <laughs> i'm so like done with the with their new stuff right now like i i I admire the legacy of the band and I admire the the musicianship and the songwriting and and everything that went along with the production um but this right now is not pretty and and it's not no. yeah it's it's kind of a disaster
0: absolutely as we started this feature on one of our previous episodes, if you like this, you might also like this. Um, and as you rich will know, I'm a big fan of Oceania music, Australia, New Zealand. There are a handful of bands from down under that either have horns or they bring in horns on a lot of their material. And one of which was actually recommended to me by a fellow Chicago fan, a band called cat empire, which I absolutely love. They are, completely unique i've never heard anything like them before since they have latin influences they have they even they have a guy scratching records on a lot of their materials so that they're it, the, they have the brass and then they, you hear record scratching and they're they don't rap but they got that in there so that element of rap music thrown in with horns with very latin-esque rhythms um their keyboard players phenomenal. And the other thing I kind of dig about them is their vocalists don't try to – a lot of singers from Australia, New Zealand, England, wherever, they drop the accent when they sing. Cat Empire doesn't do that. You, they have a thick Australian accent around the vocals, and it may, the music is just plain fun, and it's catchy, and the musicianship is top-notch, and – that horn section just blows the doors off. They are f- fantastic, so I do highly recommend them. Um, they, I've got a handful of their albums. Uh, they've got some. You can. F- they've got music videos of some of their songs. Uh, Fishies, uh, Brighter Than Gold. Um, they've got a song called How to Explain. They don't have a music video for that one, but it's. I think the opening track off their de- debut album, where it's kind of like introduction with Chicago. They explain what they're all about um in that very first song and it, it's excellent song um the other song they have a video for is called uh the chariot that that's um really catchy song and the, that's just about expressing yourself through music instead of through war and poverty using music as getting a message out a socio-political message out and it's it's a really decent song Uh, but i highly recommend cat empire to any fans of any of the bands we've been discussing up to this point um they they are fantastic um another band from australia that's been around quite a while uh they split up in 98 but i think they've got back together to do some reunion shows over the years hunters and collectors um they're a bit more out there in new wave Uh, Rich, you listened to some of their stuff. How how did you describe them?
1: <laughs> oh, uh. You had a
0: unique description of them.
1: Oh, I don't, I, I want to get that right. Let me, let me look, look, look back on that. Um, cause you're right. And I, I think I had said something about it was like, uh, crowded house meets, um, oh, what was it? Uh, go ahead and I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll get, I'll get it.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, they, they did try to crack the U.S. market. They uh, toured with Midnight Oil back in the late 80s or early 90s. And part of the reason they did that was a lot of Midnight Oil songs, even though they don't have a horn section, their songs that have horns. So the Hunters and Collectors horn section stepped in to play horns for the Midnight Oil songs that needed it, like Beds Are Burning. Um, how many other pop songs, Aboriginal land rights have a horn chart? <laughs> but, right. Um, I Midnight mean, Oil is just a solid group but they've, they've got a lot of things to say about a lot of things and it's politics that probably don't really affect us on the other side of the world but they, they're going after issues that are important to them important to their country and I've, I have respect for that and the, the way they use music to do that is highly respectable as well um pivoting to New Zealand across the ditch as they call it the Tasman Sea uh, about a three and a half hour flight over to Auckland from mainland Australia um there's a couple groups um as I fell down a rabbit hole a couple years back two three years back of New Zealand reggae uh, there's for some reason there's the, this reggae community and i'm not sure if it's this common bond with jamaica having an island country new zealand being an island country maybe they they feel a similar kinship there or whatever but there's a lot of fantastic kiwi reggae out there and i actually have a spotify playlist that's only kiwi reggae uh, but to the groups that really jump out there the most are unique uh,
1: spotify playlist ever kiwi reggae
0: potentially Kiwi reggae. It's <laughs> it's true. Um, the two groups that pop out in my mind right away are Fat Freddy's Drop. Um, they've they do a they have prominent horn section. They do that Kiwi reggae thing. It's they've got several albums out there. Uh, they're well worth checking out. I can't think of any of their song titles off the top of my head, but definitely. Uh, just do a search for them and fall into that rabbit hole. You will not be disappointed if you like corn bands or if you like reggae that they definitely have that reggae rhythm going on. And the other is called a uh, Salmonella Dub. They also very strong. They, I think their lead singer is part Maori, uh, native New Zealander. Um, they've got kind of a dubstep thing going on in some of their stuff reggae feel on some of their other stuff they don't have horns on all their songs but the ones they do the horns are phenomenal well we're checking out there are a few others bands out there uh kiwi reggae, like 1814 i think is another one and i could be wrong but i think they did a reggae cover of johnny cash's ring of fire it, i'm not sure if it was them or another kiwi reggae band but i think it was 1814 that's well worth checking out just very different arrangement of a Johnny Cash song just to hear a reggae version of Johnny Cash is just fun um but that's the tip of the iceberg if you start down the salmonella dub fat freddy's drop rabbit hole you will discover a whole bunch of other bands there's at least three or four other ones that are well worth listening to as well that I can't they totally slip my mind right now but those are the two that started me down that rabbit hole
1: yeah okay so I found what um, I had said so I felt like it was a little bit of crowded house Like it, I thought there was some crowded house in one of the songs that you, you sent to me and the other one was Pat. it sounded like a little Pat McGee band now I don't know if anybody knows Pat McGee band um, but they had some pretty good music they don't have like a horn section but they have a horn <laughs> they have a saxophone and they play it and sometimes they'll double it up with another instrument so like a guitar and a, and the saxophone, and it he's a very good songwriter, um, very good um, arranger and and inst- and singer. So if you like Crowded House plus Pat McGee band, which is an interesting combination, um, then I then I think you would like uh Hunters and Collectors. Uh, so that was just kind of my my take on it. I have a couple of if you like this. It's like it's not on our outline, so you're gonna to have to bear with me. Um oh, absolutely <laughs> one one that's from the sixties and seventies, um, if if people like kind of pop uh, horn music is the grassroots. Um they had um Midnight Confessions, Temptation Eyes. They had a lot of kind of popular hits. They had a horn section in most of their songs. And um and they were pretty popular there for a little while. Um they did a Live for today, um, yeah. I love Live for
0: today. The, the, the way that it's mixed, the <laughs> to go from one speaker to the other, yes, and back. The, the just the it's just so trippy, and the production on that song is why it's. I absolutely love it. I mean, the, the stereo was still so new then, and the that they figured out the, how to do something like that to set their music apart. I... I they deserve a lot of credit for that because that song is just, it, that's the song that you need headphones for to really fully appreciate. Yeah,
1: because, because it goes from one end that. to the other. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and another one I've got, another band, uh, I've got kind of recent um, band, and they do rock with horns. They do jazz. They do kind of fusion. They do funk. They do a lot of different stuff. Um, but if you really like horns and you really like great musicianship, um they're called snarky puppy and they're like a 10 piece band um but they're 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 another solid kind of if you if you like bands with horns and you want to really try something that's really different uh they're they're definitely one that likes to experiment
0: i'll have to check them out
1: yeah they're good they're a good time um i actually knew the manager of that band for a little while um before she passed away and uh she's the one who turned me on to him and i was like yeah this is a, this is great so yeah if you get an opportunity go listen to snarky puppy and uh just i can't i, I can't tell you one specific one i would say just listen to everything you can get a, a handle on uh, just to get an idea of of who they are
0: yeah i'll have to check them out um the, so, have you heard of uh monophonics no um interesting story there i was listening to a podcast and the theme song was by monophonics i, I didn't know it at the time i only knew it after listening to the podcast while in the end credits they told who the band was when i was listening to it, i was like this song it sounds like a classic like rock and roll song like classic i it's something you would expect from like tower of power or one of those bands back in the 70s and I was like, why haven't I heard this before? It sounds like something I should have heard before. Like, it's been around a long time. How did I miss this? Then if Monophonics, it was recorded in like 2015 or something. I was like, How? It's like they <laughs> somehow recaptured the sound of the 70s. And they have, they don't have a horn section, but they bring in horns for most of their songs. And it's just, it's like someone hit pause in the 70s and then hit release pause in the 2000s. 20 teens and that's what monophonics is it's like they are a glimpse of the 70s in the present day and it's with horns so i highly recommend them i recommended them to one of our mutual chicago fan friends and he actually became a bigger fan of their material than i am i mean he he went out and got everything he could by them on vinyl and any way he could find it and uh, he, he he keeps saying thank you for telling me about these guys they are phenomenal. I love them. So
1: let's, um, let's yeah, add them I, to the list.
0: Oh, absolutely. They are well worth checking out. And we, they're a band. We might even be able to do a, like a modern, uh, a up episode to this on modern horn bands, because we haven't even scratched the surface on new swing and Scott and a lot of like mighty, mighty boss Tones, cherry pop and daddies bands like that. I mean, I that's another showing in and of itself, I mean we we've scratched the surface, but
1: and we had them um, on here to go in, to talk about, but yeah, but I mean we it's we only have so much space and and it's there's so much great music to talk about it's like you know like I said, we could do Chicago every week if we wanted to, we could do a whole show on Jascon new swing like you said and and like non horn bands that have used horns um we talked about you know well, well uh, toto who's. Really, really near and dear to your heart, of course, has the Chicago connection on um, Rosanna. Yeah,
0: Rosanna and and uh, Pamela. Uh, Jimmy Pankow played trombone on both of those.
1: So there's another another connection, and and of course, yeah. you know, Toto basically was the house band for Chicago 16. So it, it really all tied together. So it's kind of interesting that they would play on on that that Chicago would play on that oh,
0: Absolutely and there's uh on in 2016 the following no 2006 sorry the falling in between album uh had a song i think dying on my feet the horn chart was done by jimmy pankow the chicago horns play on it i believe or at least pankow does and jason chef and bill champlin sing on it sing background on it oh so the, the uh, you talk about Toto being all over Chicago stuff in the 80s that particular song Chicago's that particular Toto song Chicago's all over that one it's, it's well <laughs> worth checking out
1: I guess down that Chicago line that we were kind of talking about there if anybody can get their hands on you, you might know about this um purpose that uh, the usual suspects um that had uh, Tom Scott and Bill Champlin on it a lot of horns a lot of jazz a lot of kind of stuff going on in that so that's another one if people can track it down it's it's rare but if you can track it down i would listen to that as well
0: didn't uh what's the song champlin does is that the one he does good friends
1: on yeah and time will bring you love
0: which is an old sons of champlin song he dusted off and redid for that
1: yep exactly
0: i I think the, the original version of that is on well, loving is why or one of those last two or three sons of champlin albums they they did that song but it's a great song and i'm glad he dusted it off and brought it back to the light it's i'll have to see if i can find it. i never have heard the whole album but i have heard the two songs uh champlin did for it
1: well i have the cd so if i can okay. figure it out i'll get i'll get you get you some samples over there and you can uh, take a listen to it
0: Absolutely. Um, well, we've to try something new for our next episode. Um, I think we're going to touch on Eddie and the Cruisers and Eddie and the Cruisers too. Uh, do a film review of a movie about music, and uh, that's what well, I think. That's a great place to start. It's kind of a biopic of a fictional band, and it's. I've thought both those movies were second one wasn't quite as strong as the first, but I, I do think both movies have their merits and the music in them is pretty good.
1: Oh yeah. The songwriting is, is, is amazing. And I, I might, I might, yeah. I, might uh, I might have to go back and look at those again, just cause it, it I have to every about every two years, I have to go and, and take a look at them um, just because they're, when they came out, uh, well, I'll explain during the show a little bit more, but they had a big impact on me.
0: I I saw Eddie and the Cruisers on TV uh, when I was growing up. I think it was on WPIX, Channel 11, the, one of the stations out of uh, Manhattan. And they were showing it on like a Saturday afternoon or something. And it, I was just sucked in. I had never seen it before. I think it was probably mid to late 80s probably 87 88 when i saw it i think it was came out in the theaters what 82 83 and uh i was just this movie's phenomenal it, it's just, it just sucked me right in and it, it the way it tells the story is great too from a filmmaking perspective it's a great film as well not just the music and i will of course delve a lot more into it but um That's something I think we're going to do a bit more of as time goes on. We'll do a few more reviews of movies about music.
1: Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. Um, So we can be found on our Facebook. Um, Both of us uh, do reviews for something else reviews at something We both review Chicago songs, so feel free to check out some of that. Um, I also occasionally review some Toto songs here and there, um, but a lot of great reading material on there. They've they cover a lot more than just Chicago and Toto. They they got a Steely Dan feature they do on there. They've got a feature on y- songs by Yes, similar to what you and I do with Chicago and what I also do with Toto. They sequentially do every single song on every single album. Uh, chronologically starting way back when. So um, they alternate between yes and Toto on Tuesdays. And I think they've gotten through all of Steely Dan. I could be wrong, but I think they were doing a Steely Dan on Sundays. we do the Chicago, the Chicago reviews drop on Saturdays, uh, Saturdays in the park. Uh, So that's another spot where we can be found. Um, Anything else you want to add, Rich?
1: No, and they're a lot of fun, I think, to, to read, um, I, I go on there just for, just, you know, at work sometimes if I'm like, I'm just taking a little break and I'll go and read something, um, just to get people's perspective. There's a whole bunch on there. So I, I definitely recommend, recommend that. But, you know, I also want to hear from you here, um, too with us. So you can email us or get us through the Facebook page. Um, and what's the email address again? Perp and Rick. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, perp and Rick, uh, gmail.com. And by N it's just the letter N. I tried to keep it easy.
1: Yeah, and, and we just definitely want to hear from from anybody on you know, maybe an idea for a future show or what you think of the Absolutely. show that we've we've had. Or if you got one of those, if you like this, then you may like this. Um we'll we'll share it. Um we we wanna know that stuff too. I mean, you heard even here tonight. We're like, Hey, have you heard this? No, I've never heard that. Well, let me turn you on to it. Same and back and forth. We want to hear that from you too
0: yeah absolutely and uh we'll, get, we'll even name drop give you credit for it if, if you want us to or if you don't let us know and we'll just mention it and leave your name out of it i respect people's privacy or publicity what either end of the spectrum you want to go we're we're happy to do it so uh feel free to email us with ideas suggestions or drop them on our uh facebook page and we'll incorporate them in the show as much as possible
1: well that sounds good absolutely
0: until next time
1: yep another great show it was really great talking to you again oh absolutely all right well everybody take care out there and uh we'll hear you next time and happy new year